remain, I invite you to turn in your Bibles to Colossians 1 as we continue this Advent series considering Christ the Lord. We'll be looking at verses 18 through 20, Colossians chapter 1. This is God's Word. And He is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything He might be preeminent. For in Him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, and through Him to reconcile to Himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of His cross. Let's pray that God would teach us this morning. Heavenly Father, reveal to us Christ, the Lord of peace, or that we might know that peace he offers, and that we might declare it, that we might live it, that he might be preeminent in everything. We ask that you would accomplish this for his glory, for we ask it in Christ's name. Amen. So I feel about and conflicted about Christmas. And maybe I'm the only one, but it seems like we talk about certain things, all the Christmas cards, all the Christmas songs, all the Christmas movies, talk about certain glorious things of Christmas, but then the way I actually experience it is is completely different. For example, peace. Peace is a major theme of Christmas. I just think of, of the songs, the silence and the stillness. Peace on earth, goodwill toward men. Christ, the the Prince of Peace, who's the light of the world. And, And we sing these things and we declare these things, but then when we actually step out to live in the Christmas season, it is one big frantic scramble to get all the Christmas decorations out and up and the Christmas gifts bought and, and we worry, are we overextending our budget? And, and oh no, how, are we going to be able to visit all the people at Christmas time? Is the, the, the roast going to be done on time? And it's just one big frantic, hectic, anxiety-filled peaceless experience, at least for me. I don't know about for you. And that's to say nothing of just the stuff going on in the world that doesn't care about the Christmas season, the wars in Europe and Africa and Ukraine, the the conflict and polarization in our culture, the conflict within families and, and neighborhoods. It's just not a time of peace. So where's it gone wrong? Are we just declaring a lie? Is it just wishful thinking? Or is there a peace to be had? The scriptures remind us that the peace we long for, the peace we sing about in these Christmas songs, the peace that that the deepest parts of our hearts yearn for is actually attainable. But only when we look in the right place. Because the scriptures don't lift up sentimentality as the source of peace or just the right gifts 
or having the roast done just the right way, just the right time. The scriptures lift up Christ. Christ, the Lord of peace, is himself the peace we seek. And we will never find it any other place. And so we're going to consider how it is we can behold Christ our peace rightly and experience that peace he offers in the here and now by looking at three things, three things that this passage brings out, what it means that he makes peace in heaven, peace on earth, and peace by the blood of his cross. And so the first thing I want us to consider is what it means that that Christ reconciles to himself all things, it says in verse 20, in heaven. It seems a strange thing to think that Christ should have to reconcile anything in heaven. I mean, heaven, isn't that the place where everything's perfect and right and peaceful? There's a problem. We can't get there. I mean, ancient, ancient societies felt this gap. This is, this is the whole point of temples. Temples in the, in the ancient religious mind. A temple was a place where, where heaven and earth met, where you could actually get access to those heavenly and divine realms. This is why you so often see them built on tops of mountains or tall hills. Why you had altars built on all the high places, even in Israel. Because there was this hope, this thought, that maybe in this place, I can finally get in and get access to those heavenly places, to experience that heavenly peace, to experience that divine blessing. And so in, in pagan religions, they would offer sacrifices and, and of, of every kind, from bulls and goats to even offering up their own children, hoping, thinking that maybe this sacrifice would be enough for this God that I worship to look kindly on me and give me the blessings of the heavenly places for me to experience here on earth. And the only place that I can really hope for that to work itself out is in these temples where heaven and earth meet. Of course, the scriptures turn all that on the head. You don't have to read far into the Old Testament history of Israel to find how often God condemned the building of altars on all these high places. How he scattered the people who thought they could build a tower all the way to heaven themselves. And we read here these strange words in verse 19. For in him, in Jesus... All the fullness of God was pleased to dwell. This is one of the most remarkable things that we could read. That that where heaven and earth meet, truly, according to the unshakable word of God, that the place where heaven and earth meet isn't a temple built by the hands of men. Isn't an altar on some high hill somewhere, but is in the person of the Lord Jesus Christ himself. And that even then, it's not an adversarial uh, uh, engagement. 
But the fullness of God was pleased to dwell in human form in the person of Jesus. We read in the Gospel of John that the Word became flesh and dwelt among us, tabernacled among us. That that ancient tabernacle, the place of worship, the place where God said, my presence will dwell with my people. What the Old Testament foreshadowed is fulfilled in the person of Christ where heaven and earth are at peace and where we are invited to access those heavenly blessings, where we are invited to meet with God, not to offer sacrifices in the hopes that maybe if it's just enough, he might see fit to grant us the blessings of heaven. Oh, the Lord Jesus Christ himself, a temple not made by hands, came to earth, brought the peace of God, declared the peace of God, worked the peace of God in himself, being his own sacrifice, that we might have access to the heavenly places, that we might be recipients of the divine blessings of God. In Christ, heaven and earth are at peace. And so when we read that he reconciles in himself all things in heaven, every blessing, every goodness, every eternal truth, all love, holiness, righteousness, is brought in himself to earth that we might know the heavenly divine blessings of God. I wonder, do we we consider what this means rightly? What, What does it mean? What does it mean for you? How does this reality direct you toward the peace your soul yearns for? Have we bought into that pagan thinking? That we walk through this life doing our best, trying to do right by people and do right by God, hoping that we don't mess up so bad that God drops a piano or an anvil on our head. We're just waiting. Is God just waiting for us to mess up? Have we bought into this thinking that, that he's for us only as long as we're good enough for him? If we can live up to those heavenly expectations. That pagan form of thinking that the gods are out to get you unless you appease them enough? Or do we hear the good news that Christ, in him, the fullness of God, was pleased to dwell, that he brought redemption for his people, that he brings with him the very peace of God, peace with God, 
Not because of anything that human hands have wrought, but because of what he is and because of what he has done. Do we approach God out of this worldly fear? There's a a fear of God that leads us to, to run for him like we're on this treadmill, this legalistic mentality that we have to do more and be more and attain more and obey more in order for us to know the peace of God. And there's a peace, there's a fear of God that, that, that leads us to run away from God into licentious living. Thinking that, well, if I can't get peace with God, if I can't be good enough for God, I'm at least going to find some comfort here. Maybe you find it in a bottle, and maybe you find it in pornography, and maybe you find it in money, and maybe you find it in work, and maybe you find it in your reputation, but you've found some place to run far, far, far away from God where you can find some semblance of peace because you've given up on ever knowing the real thing. But here, when we read that in Christ, all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, the fear that this ought to elicit in us is that fear of the Lord that is talked about in Scripture that doesn't cause us to run for God or run away from God, but to draw near to God in reverence and awe and worship and joy, knowing that we are at peace with Him because of the Lord Jesus Christ. We can't get to heaven We don't have access on our own. We don't know the way. The Lord Jesus Christ brings it to us that we might know the eternal, unshakable, glorious blessings of fellowshipping with God, our Creator, with whom we have peace. Do you know that kind of peace? What it means for you to be still in your soul and know He is your God. We also read that in Christ, He reconciles to Himself all things on earth. And this maybe makes more sense to us because we look around and everything seems to be going wrong one way or the other. And every time we get some good news, it seems like there's bad news that follows. And it would be great for the Lord Jesus to just come back and set all things right. But it doesn't say... that this reconciliation remains to be accomplished. In him, all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven. He's about that work of reconciliation right now. 
When I was growing up, there was a series of commercials. I'm dating myself when I say this, where everything was going chaotic. Everything was just like, whatever, work. Everything was falling apart. Family, the children were being crazy or like walls were falling down in the house and somebody would just get overwhelmed and say, Calgon, take me away, right? And this is a commercial for bubble bath, as if bubble bath could take away all the chaos and confusion of this world. Um, I think there's a reason. Maybe there's, they don't sell a whole lot of bubble bath anymore. But the idea could just be a place where I could go and get away from it all and find peace and rest. Oh, that... That hit deep. Problem is, our culture doesn't need bubble bath to accomplish this anymore. We, we try to find that peace, that calmness, that rest through isolating ourselves further and further. Oh, if there's chaos here in this relationship, I'm going to get away from that relationship. If there's chaos at that job, I'm going to leave that job. And we are becoming more and more atomized as a culture, individual little particles floating around in the world, doing our work remotely, engaging with our family remotely, engaging with our friends remotely. Here we read, Jesus is doing something very different to bring about a peace, a deeper peace here on earth. We read that he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning. That word is literally source. He is the source, the firstborn from the dead. He is, as the one who brings heaven to earth, not content to just throw out little words of encouragement. He didn't, you know, he's not doing a mass mailing of chicken soup for the soul so that you'll get your little Christmas card from Jesus and you'll feel better. He's gathering a people together in person with all their faults and failings and neuroses and weird habits and awkward behaviors. And he's bringing them together and calling them his people, his body, the church. What an incredible thing that in Christ, he forms a new community where he and his peace are to reign. I mean, the way we think about communities and the way they form, it's usually, I mean, maybe we have common interests, right? And so you have the board gaming club or the disc golf club or the video game club, or the book club, or whatever, the service club. And you get together with common interests, and it works out okay for a time. But people being people, we always find some reason to, to mess with that, don't we? Like, well, you don't like the right board games. Uh, no, disc golf is not played with a frisbee. It's played with a disc. Like there are special, there's special equipment that you need. Um, we we start to 
to test everybody's purity. Are you devoted enough to this interest? Are you devoted enough to this cause to qualify to be here? And we do it in politics. We do it in religion. And we do it with ridiculous things on Facebook. And we, we just we find ways to divide instead of to unite, even around those things, presumably, that were supposed to bring us together. But notice what, what brings us together here. There is no purity test. Because the source, the one who defines this new community, the one who creates this new community, the one who brings it about and draws people into it, is the very Son of God who is all holiness and purity and righteousness and peace. And so we don't look to anyone else to define what this community ought to look like. We look to him. In his book, Life Together, Dietrich Bonhoeffer drives this point home that that Christians, we do this all the time, but we, we start to think about the church in terms of what our expectations of it are. And it's the truest thing I could say. It, like, it will never live up to your expectations. It doesn't live up to my expectations. Our expectations are wrong. They're selfish. They're impure. It's about me. What do I get? How are you going to meet my needs? What are, how are you going to meet my expectations? But the church isn't defined by us. Its source is Christ. And he's the firstborn from the dead, which implies many, many brothers. A large family who has new life, who lives a new way. The way evidenced by our Lord, who is our peace. And so the things that ought to characterize this community or the forgiveness of sins, or the love of God, and love for neighbor, or the pursuit of a relationship with the Lord, the, the hunger and thirst for righteousness, and the desire to know more and more of the good news declared in His Word. look like? How would we learn more and more, not just to talk about peace, but to know the peace of God if we learned to live it out with one another? To find all of those things that could be dividing walls of hostility between us and to to strive to learn and understand and live out what it means that Christ tears those down. What would it mean for us not to just sing peace on earth, goodwill toward men, to live it? Because he himself is our peace and he reconciles to himself all things on earth, bringing together a new community, a people for his very own. The last thing I want us to consider is what it means that he makes this peace 
by the blood of his cross. This is perhaps the most important application point we could consider. As I read the news, you can't help but read the news and hear about war in Ukraine, war in Gaza, war in Africa, the threat of war in all sorts of other places. And what are the strategies for winning the war? And how are we going to make sure that that the right people come out on top? And what does it mean to wage an effective war where you come out victorious? And interesting as those articles may be, they're kind of depressing. I've read some others that have posed an interesting question. Winning the war is one thing. What does it then look like for us to win the peace? Nobody talks much about winning the peace. It's a strange concept. How do you win the peace? Winning a war is more straightforward. What does it mean to win peace? Christ won the peace, not by calling legions of angels down from heaven to destroy his enemies. Christ won the peace by the blood of his cross. In Christ, the path of peace, the peace of God, the peace that comes from heaven, the peace that passes all understanding is not won through worldly weapons and ways. In Christ, the path of peace is one of selfless sacrifice for the sake of others. How did he make peace between heaven and earth? How did he enable the dividing walls of hostility to be torn down between us? It's because he didn't just die as an example On the cross, he bore in his body the sins of his people. All of the things that would alienate us from God, he put to death in himself. And he rose to newness of life to show us that the way that we were made to live in his image, in love for God and love for neighbor, is the way we ought to live now. Putting to death the things that are of this world. Putting to death malice and selfishness and covetousness, which is idolatry. Living in the truth of who he is and what he's called us to be. He purchased that peace with the sacrifice of himself. Do we think that living out that peace is going to look significantly different? Can you go to the Christmas dinner with those family members that you're kind of at odds at and beat them over the head with peace? You will get along with me or else. I mean, you can try that. You can try it. Do we win the peace? By living as Christ and giving. 
even when it means it costs us. See, for all the talk of peace, Christ, he is our peace. And the peace we are to have with God, the peace we are to have with one another, is, is characterized by and centered in and powered by the Lord Jesus Christ himself. But what is so remarkable is that he sends us out, this community, this church, his body, to be peacemakers in a world that is full of conflict, anger, and rebellion. What would it look like? What would it look like for us to be those who so know the peace of God that we can go out into this world as peacemakers, living lives of sacrifice and love that people might see there's a better way to live. There's a better way to be. We were made for something more glorious. We can't do that on our own. We need Christ the Lord. We need to find our peace in him. We need to find the power to to live out that peace in him. We need to have everything about us and our lives in this place centered on him. And so may the Lord in this season, as we hear all of these Christmas songs that call us into a a new way of life, may the, the clamor of the world around us quiet down. We in stillness might know God is our God. We are his people. And Christ, the Lord of peace, sends us out to live that peace that others might come to know him as their peace as well. Pray with me. Heavenly Father, we ask that you would give us that stillness and that silence to know you as our peace. Lord, show us all of these ways that we have let worldly thinking and behavior seep into the way we relate to you and one another. May we learn to put those things to death and live a new life in Christ, our peace. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.